Tim Kewen, you recently accepted this Mission Impossible to write kind of the ultimate story about the Shohei Otani experience. And in so doing, you ran into a problem. What, what was it specifically? Jeremy, the biggest problem I ran into was what happened after I spent time with him. He had started out the first 10 or so days of June having a normal Shohei Otani month. <laughs> and then I left on June 10th. And all of a sudden, I'm watching every game from home and seeing this ridiculous month transpire in front of my eyes while I'm not there. Otani with a drive to right. Yes, this one's going to go a long way. Shohei Otani. Swing and a drive well hit out to center field. And that one doesn't stand a chance to stick around. That's in there. Strike three call. 97 on that fastball. Dots the outside corner at the knees. And all I could think of is, why didn't I choose to go this week? Or why didn't I choose that week? Hard in the right field. Third hit today for Shohei. Boy, is he good. 400-foot shot for Shohei Otani. Swing and a miss. The Major League home run leader just struck out one of the best hitters in baseball. Showtime, and I'm super excited. You lucky I got to call this game, Wayne. I'll have some popcorn and get it ready up in here. <laughs> it became this kind of joke, and then it culminated with him hitting two home runs against the White Sox and striking out 10 on the mound. Shohei has hit 375 in the games that he has pitched in. His OPS 1130 in those games. See what I mean? That is high. That is deep, that is gone, that is number 27 for Shohei Otani. He's just not real. That's where I just wanted to just mm. close my laptop and stare into the abyss and hope that I could somehow find words to describe, even come close to describing what was going on. Yeah, there was no way for you to know uh, that he would fashion maybe the greatest month any baseball player's ever had, as Jeff Passan argued here on the podcast not too long ago. But for you, the Shohei Otani experience is something that goes back now half a decade. You were there at his first spring training with the Angels in 2018, five and a half years ago. And at that time, there were still questions. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that he would be Babe Ruth and Sandy Koufax and Pedro Martinez rolled into one. When you saw him that first time, even with all the hype, you know, what were you thinking? What, what, what stood out for you at that point in Tempe, Arizona, half a decade ago? What I always go back to was it was this Friday morning in Tempe, where Otani was pitching against a Mexican league professional team, the Tijuana Toros. And the game was so far off the radar that they didn't sell tickets. It was played at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was technically like a B-squad spring training game, but it felt even lower than that. The idea was for him to go four innings and throw 60 pitches. He threw three innings, and he threw 64 pitches, and he gave up six runs to a team that had a bunch of 
Jorge Cantu and guys like that that were finished in the big leagues by then. And it just didn't feel like the guy that we had been led to believe we were going to see. I went from Arizona to Japan and went back and tried to trace his development as a as an amateur and as a professional. And I sat with his high school coach and he basically said, give Shohei time. They talked about the baseballs being too slick, the mound being too hard. And he said, right now, Shohei is crouched. He must go down before he rises up. And I thought to myself, this is one profound dude. And I wrote <laughs> it down and I put it in my piece. But I have to tell you, Jeremy, I am not sure I believed it at that time. Mm. Yeah, it's not something I could really imagine, say, Tommy Lasorda or Jim Fregosi saying. <laughs> now do you believe it? Oh, yeah. We're all believers now. There are a few problems covering Shohei Otani. First, there's the fact that he's going to do something worthy of a deep dive between the time you finish your piece and it publishes. Second, how do you find new ways to describe the one-of-a-kind unicorn that's been captivating baseball fans for five and a half years? Well, Tim Kewen tried something new. He embedded himself in the Angels clubhouse for a full week, trying to get to the bottom of who Otani is on and off the field. So today, Tim tells us what he did and did not learn about Shohei Otani and what the future might look like for baseball's supernova. I'm Jeremy Schaff. It's Tuesday, July 18th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tim, again, this is kind of like Mission Impossible. Because Shohei Otani has been covered. He's been written about. There have been all these attempts to contextualize, to give us a full appreciation of these remarkable achievements. What was your goal here? What were you trying to accomplish? Every year, Jeremy, we kind of look at how can we do something different on <laughs> Shohei Otani? Because as you say, right. it's all been done. I mean, you can only throw so many superlatives in, in a row before they, they start to seem meaningless. And so what we thought was, okay, if we start with him on the mound one day and end with him 
on his second start, the start after that, then we're going to get every day of the Shohei experience, right? We're going to get we're going to get a start. We're going to get the days after. We're going to get the days before. And then we're going to get another start. And I think that the idea was to take this moment in time, right? This guy who is obviously doing things nobody's done, who is on the cusp of free agency, who's playing for a team that is desperate to sort of show him that they can compete and not only compete for a playoff spot, but compete for his labor down the line, right? They want to show him that that they're a worthy suitor when when the time comes to, to decide where he's going to spend the next however many years of his career. So it felt like kind of an inflection point, right? It felt mm. like an inflection point for Shohei, an inflection point for the Angels. And it it seemed like like if we could just subsume ourselves into his world for this period of time, maybe we could unearth some things that might illuminate him a little bit better than than we have in the past. Tim, how would you describe having seen it, Otani's presence in the Angels clubhouse, especially when you consider that cultural divide, the different ways the clubhouses work in Japan and here in the U.S.? I think that because I went to Japan and I sort of got a feel for how things work over there, it gave me a greater understanding that they don't have reporters in the clubhouse. They, they aren't used to the to the openness that we have. Now, there's an insatiable desire for Shohei Otani news in Japan, but it's more based on on what's happening on the field. His teammates love him. They are in awe of him, which is, as you know, rare in the world of professional sports. There's there's generally more more jealousy than respect for great players like this. But there is there is a a certain uh, maybe necessary aloofness to Otani because he is mm. doing something nobody else is doing or has done. So so there is leeway, right? Like, well, we they they kind of leave him alone because. Number one, he's shown that he can handle the workload and be phenomenal at it. And number two, he kind of exists within his own ecosystem. You know, like he hangs out with his teammates during the game. But like in the clubhouse, he he's very much with uh, Ipe Muzahara, his translator and, and friend and coach and all kinds of things. And they kind of have their own thing going on. He kind of makes his own work schedule. You know, he decides when he's going to hit, hmm. where he's going to hit, when he's going to throw his his bullpen in between starts, whether it's going to be the day before a start, which is rare in Major League Baseball, or two days before, which is a little more conventional. He is outside the norm. They're outside the orbit of, of the normal baseball player and the normal angel. Tim, you mentioned Ipe Mizuhara, the man who knows Shohei better than anyone else here in America. He's someone you've described as Otani's ever-present plus one. What can you tell us about their relationship? Ipe's been with, with Shohei since he got here. And, you know, I mean, it feels like they're never apart. Ipe is always about two steps behind Shohei. He's always carrying something, whether it's his luggage on a on a, a getaway day or it's the iPad to study hitters. Um, he runs Shohei's 
bullpen routine, which is really a, a kind of a comprehensive throwing routine that he goes through before every start. And there's not a pitching coach there. There is Ipe with a handheld radar gun and all the gear that Shohei needs. I've seen this for several years, but I was looking at it maybe a little differently this time. And, and I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever been that close to someone for the amount of time that they mm. do. Like they are from the time they arrive at the ballpark till they leave, they sit in the players lounge together. They, they, they just seem to have this incredible relationship. And so I, kind of started being you know, a little bit obsessed with asking guys whether they thought they ever got sick of each other. Jared Walsh, who's now in the minor leagues because he's he had a really rough start to the season, his line was, if somebody had to work for me like that, they would quit after two weeks. They'd say, I don't need the money. I can't be around this guy like this. But he said, these two <laughs> seem to have transcended friendship into a type of brotherhood. And the, the relationship fascinates me. But when if Shohei's at the plate, and the other team changes pitchers, you'll see Ipe come out to the on-deck circle with the iPad to give him the rundown on the next guy coming in. It's not a hitting coach. It's not Ipe and the hitting coach because he would need to interpret. It's simply Ipe. He is almost like a personal coach for Shohei Otani. <laughs> The game that where Shohei hit two home runs and pitched against the White Sox in June, he had to get ready to pitch after he hit one of his home runs. And they have this samurai helmet that I'm sure you've seen that they run through the dugout with and, and after every home run. Mm. And uh, Otani didn't have time for that frivolity at this moment. So he gave it to Ipe and he ran through the dugout celebrating Shohei's home run. And everybody thought it was great. It is rare to see this self-contained ecosystem have this, I don't know, this kind of runaway electron that's in there all the time, but is accepted. Like he is, he is part of the mix. And I would love to talk to Ipe about the balancing act that he goes through because he had to have uh, moments where he felt out of place or he had to, to earn people's trust because he's, he's there all the time. And, and he seems to have done it masterfully. Tim, you mentioned in your story the way the Angels organization trusts Otani. This feeling that he doesn't really need to be coached. And in fact, they don't want to coach him uh, because there's this fear that it might create friction from offering any criticism. Not that there's much to criticize. It's, it's an unusual dynamic, right? It is. It is, definitely. And the best anecdote I have for that is that in the two games that he pitched when I was there, he pitched on a Friday night against the Astros. He pitched the next Friday night against the Mariners. Lost the first game, won the second game. But in both games, he gave up a home run to a left-handed hitter, Jordan Alvarez in the Astros case, Jared Kelnick in the Mariners. And he did it really the same way. He had thrown two sweepers, what we used to call sliders, in a row to both guys. And the second one in both cases was hit for a home run. After the game, Angels manager Phil Nevin made the point both times, you know, there might be some pitch selection things they need to talk to that when you're dealing with good hitters like that, you can't back up those pitches unless they're great pitches, right? And they, in neither right. case, were they great pitches. The obvious question that came out of that for Nevin was, okay, well, are you guys going to maybe 
take some of the autonomy away that Shohei calls all his own pitches. And the answer was very emphatic. Like, that's not something we're going to do unless he comes to us with it. Come on. I mean, I felt like this is a comparison I come back to a lot because I I covered Barry Bonds when he first got to the Giants and I covered him every day. Right. And there was much made of how Barry was apart from the team. He didn't stretch with the team. He had kind of his own guys in the clubhouse. He had his stretching coach and his massage therapist and whatever else he had in there and his recliner. You know, those were all the famous things about Barry. Right. This is not to that extent. I'm not I'm not saying that, but it's the closest thing I've seen. Mm. It is really the closest thing I've seen to allowing somebody whose talent is universally acknowledged to be beyond anybody else in the clubhouse, if not the entire sport, to basically make his own way and come to them if he has questions or problems. In this case, it doesn't seem like Shohei does have very many of those questions for them. And, you know... (sighs) If it's not broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, that's kind of their right. that's kind of the motto there. The great stars are more than the sum of their statistics, even when they're statistics like this. And they have auras and they have personas as well. You know, Babe Ruth is synonymous, obviously, with the Roaring Twenties. And Joe DiMaggio, there's kind of that Yankees haughtiness and there's the prickliness with Ted Williams. You could go on and on. And Willie Mays, you know, the New York writers in the 50s, made him the say, hey, kid, you know, and it was about this kind of, you know, love of the game, this irrepressible love of the game. What is Shohei Otani's persona? What is what? What is the personality, the image? And beyond that, behind that, who is the person? It, it's, it's hard to find. However, from my reporting, the person is the player in a lot of ways. He set out to do this from the time he graduated from high school. I mean, he he would have come directly to the United States if not for the brain trust in Japan saying, hey, if you go there, you might not get to do both things. Right. And that's probably true, because if you're if you're good at both things, somebody's going to say, hey, if you stop doing one of them, you're going to be great at the other one or you have a chance to be. And, and he didn't want to take that chance. So he stayed over there did both, waited for his the time to he had proven himself, and then he's coming here to do that. And he is, by all accounts, consumed with it. I mean, that is what mm. Nevin told me, that every movement he makes from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed is with the intent of being and becoming the best player baseball has ever seen. At the All-Star game during the MLB mandated media session, somebody just trying to get at what you're asking, the personality, ask him about, you know, what what restaurants do you like? You know, just silly questions. And he said that he hadn't eaten out at a restaurant this year on the road. <laughs> he eats lunch at the ballpark. He either eats dinner after the game at the ballpark or he goes back to the hotel and gets room service. Everything is so structured in his world Mm -hmm. and everything it's just revolves around what he does on the field it's fascinating to me because i don't consider him robotic on the field i consider he has a style that is very unique the way he swings how he hits the ball the way his mannerisms everything the way he he 
tips his cap to the umpire before every every at bat. The way he thanks the umpire for just throwing a baseball back to him after a foul ball. I mean, there's there's a lot. Of, it, it, there is a a personality there. Um, he just he just really doesn't want to let us see it. Mm. <laughs> As we said at the beginning of this conversation, you've been around him. You've watched this whole journey, Shohei Otani, in the major leagues. And it took him a while, you know, to go from that crouch down to rise to where he is now, this unprecedented plane of achievement. What you've seen over the years, and specifically this one week you spent with him and the team in June, how do you explain it? How do you explain the way that he has been able to master this game? I think there's something to be said for smashing expectations and allowing even people like us to see what is possible. That if you just completely devote yourself to improving in in these two fields, right, hitting and pitching, that there are possibilities out there. I think that's that's kind of the magic of him is that people are seeing that that somebody did this, right? You know, Babe Ruth did it to a certain extent, but this is so far beyond that at this point. I mean, it's very rare to where you're watching an athlete and you think we may never see this again. We haven't seen it before. We may never see it again. Mm. That is really the the fascinating part of this and the part that that makes everyone including his teammates including his manager and coaches including us want to stop and look and say let's let's just appreciate this and not take it for granted because this is a very unique guy doing an incredibly unique thing and and really devoting his entire life to it and at the same time, the question is, how much longer will they and us and everyone see him doing it in the uniform he's been wearing for the last six seasons? So coming up, we'll talk with Tim about what the future holds for Shohei Otani and the Angels. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Tim, the elephant in the room, it's about the future. It's about the immediate future and the long-term future. And for the Angels, as we approach the trade deadline and free agency looms, 
you know, how are they, how are they responding to this? How are they trying to create a situation in which they don't say goodbye to Shohei Otani? Well, it's, uh, Interesting to me, Jeremy, that the Angels were kind of the first team to jump into the trade market here. You know, they traded for Mike Moustakis. They traded for Eduardo Escobar. Those were part due to some injuries. Anthony Rendon can't stay on the field. Then after this, Mike Trout breaks his hand and you have six weeks without him. Uh, the team goes into a, a tailspin that coincides with that. There are two questions, right? Can they sign him after the season and will they trade him mm. August 1st? They thought they answered that second question by putting together uh, a team that, you know, theoretically had the season ended, they would have been in the playoffs at, at, a, at a couple points. So it felt reachable, right? That part, because everyone knows and assumes that Shohei wants to go somewhere to win. Like that's that's primary in his his search. The general manager, Perry Manazian, is publicly and privately confident that the Angels have a better chance of keeping him at the end of the season than people from the outside would assume. But there is, you know, there's some gripping going on there, you know. Losing Trout and having this, you know, this typical Angel season, right? I mean, we talked about how Shohei Otani had perhaps the best month in the history of the sport. You know what the team's record was? 14 and 13. Like that's like <laughs> that is like the most angels thing you can think of, you know, is that they they have these two transcendent talents and this one guy that is just routinely doing things that boggle our minds and they can't be consistent. You know, Manasian has been around for 3 years. He's put together some good drafts. Those drafts are actually showing themselves at the major league level with a, a a young shortstop in Zach Neto and a couple guys in the bullpen. But is it enough and is it fast enough, right? You know, is Shohei Otani going to wait for Zach Neto to be good in three years when he can go, you know, play with Francisco Lindor or somebody who's good right now? I mean, that's that's what they're fighting. And I think it's, it's uh, wouldn't really want to be in their spot. Whichever team ends up winning these sweepstakes, it's going to cost a lot. The record now is Trout at, what, 426? I mean, I, you're going to go way above that. I mean, he's like a $300 million hitter and a at least a $300 million pitcher, right? I mean, when you look at what other people have gotten. So, mm -hmm. so you know, it, it could be three quarters. You know, it could be three quarters of a billion dollars. Who knows? Wow. wow that, so that's three times... What Alex Rodriguez got when he signed yes. with the Texas Rangers, left the Seattle Mariners 20-plus years ago. Uh, I remember the owner of the Rangers at that time, at one point, Tom Hicks, said, you know what? I'll take the contract. He can have the team. <laughs> In terms of his value, there is the magnificence on the field in the way that we think of other players. But how, how does a team monetize that contract, if that's the right word, how does how does a team justify that kind of salary when we're talking specifically about Shohei Otani and and what he what he offers? I think that there are a few answers to that question, Jeremy. I think one of them is is the international acclaim that he brings to your team. The Japanese tourists who 
built trips around going to see Shohei in Anaheim or wherever he might be playing. There's jersey sales. If you sit at a game in Anaheim, it is amazing the number of Japanese advertisements that are throughout that stadium. At the end of the fifth inning, they run this long commercial for Japan's favorite cat treats. Cat time treat time anytime. Inaba. <laughs> it's like a 30 second ad that runs during the game. And, you know, we don't know the actual number that the Angels are getting from having Shohei, but it's been pretty accurately, I think, reported that it's in the tens of millions of dollars, like that he might bring in $30 million in outside advertising, not by promoting things or being the face of anything, but just being who he is and having these companies need to be associated with him and the team that he plays for. So if you can do that in Anaheim, what can you do in New York? What can you do in Seattle or the Dodgers, you know, San Francisco, these cities where they can monetize that even more because there's more of a Japanese population. There's mm. more of a, a tourist area, whatever it might be. So those possibilities are out there. And I just think that if you have an established team and you can add this guy, it's like adding two superstars onto your roster in, in one spot. And I mean, what's interesting here, we talk about kind of the um, unknowability of Shohei Otani, we haven't really gotten any hints. What indications have there been from Shohei Otani about what his preference might be ultimately? Oh, very, very few. I mean, almost no hints. I go back to when the last time there was this, this kind of thing around Shohei was when he was coming here for the first time, right? He picked the Angels, which I think surprised a lot of people, right? I didn't think that that was that was one of the teams from all the reporting and all the discussions. And I think that was chalked up to the fact that, well, you know, he's been in Japan. We don't really know him, right? We don't know what he values or where he wants to play or what kind of things he's looking for in a community and a team and a manager, whatever. Well, we're six years almost into this and we still don't know. You know, we still don't know mm. other than you know, some vague hints about about how difficult it is not to make the playoffs and how much the longer he plays, the more he values winning. But even that's hard to draw much from because when he says that, he follows it by saying, so I am trying to do that in Anaheim, essentially. He's saying, I'm, I do all I can to bring that to Anaheim. Uh, you know, I mean, to this point, it's clear that he can't do it by himself. He can't even do it with Mike Trout. So does he move on and decide that he'll go somewhere where it's a lot easier to to win and to, to get that spotlight after the regular season? Tim Kewen, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.